0: We are today finishing a a look at what makes us not unique but distinctive. All churches worship and study the Scriptures. All churches fellowship and pray. But what we have tried to establish here is a community that has some DNA to it, some values, and today is the last of those values. It frankly was here long before Laura and I ever knew that Christ Presbyterian Church existed. Really, for decades, if anyone were to look at this church and says, what makes it distinctive, they would have said something like, there is an awareness of the world here, an awareness of the larger world because life is more than just about them. Life is more than just about us. I believe that's grounded in this community because it's a value that's grounded in the story of God, the story God tells right from the beginning of the creation of planet Earth, when people first started to identify themselves in peculiar ways to a particular God, to say there is one God. And it comes in the story that is told in the book of Genesis, where Abraham finds One God, or one God finds Abraham. And the low point of that whole story, the hardest valley, is where God tells him to take his son to the top of a mountain and offer him as a sacrifice, his son Isaac. And to show that he trusts God, he does it. And then at the last second, God spares Isaac by putting in another sacrifice, And then he turns to Abraham and said, not you've passed the test, you get the prize, but he says, now you know what faith looks like. And this is what happens when you are faithful. Genesis 22, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will bless you, number one, and I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Blessing number two, I declare, says the Lord, that your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, number three. And the fourth part of the Abrahamic blessing is, and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Because you have obeyed me. This is not a tribal God helping my clan and not yours. We are called to be the blessing ones. We are the children of Abraham by faith in the one God. We are called to be the ones who bless the world, not our friends, not ourselves, not our little clique, the world. So it's important to say, what is blessing? Well, start by saying what blessing is not. First, blessing is not a political position that a Christian has. Can I tell you, I thought I saw that wonderfully yesterday in the funeral service for Justice Scalia. I I thought it was powerful. This rock-ribbed conservative was also exposed as a hardcore follower of Jesus Christ. There is a great quote that Justice Scalia said one time. God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians, like me, would view Christians as fools, and God has not been disappointed. If I brought any message today, it's this. Have the courage to have your vision regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ. And have the courage to suffer the contempt of the sophisticated world, powerfully rooted in being conservative. You know the reason I heard that is because I was watching the blog of a wacko, liberal, progressive activist called Shane Claiborne. This is Shane's uh, picture. He's got dreadlocks down to his waist and uh, he is about as far as you can get from Antonin Scalia. But he was the one who posted that quote, and then he said, Christianity is at its best when it is peculiar, marginalized, suffering, and it's at its worst when it's popular and credible and triumphal and powerful. Same message, different polls bless the world. Blessing is not a political position. It is the ability to... See the world through the eyes of a fool. Second, I, I want to make sure that uh, the idea of blessing the world is not saying, oh, we've got to go out there and fix everything. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. That is not a biblical view of the world. Christians are the ones who discover beauty like the music we've heard today. Christians are the ones who look out across the plains of Africa and see a giraffe raising its head and say, look at the creativity of our God. But also, blessing the world sees not only its beauty, but its peril. The last not, I would say, is that you cannot bless the world disconnected from the church of God. Blessing is not to be confused with doing good. Blessing is not the same as helping people. Blessing connects to the God who showed Abraham who he was. And sometimes you learn that best from people who are not Christians. Uh, Nicholas Christoph writes for one of the great papers of our day. Christoph is a secular Jew, a popular uh, progressive uh, voice, and has changed his mind about Christians. He writes, Today, Among urban Americans and Europeans, evangelical or Christian is sometimes a synonym for rube. In liberal circles, evangelicals and Christians constitute one of the few groups that it's safe to mock openly. And yet the liberal caricature of the orthodox is incomplete and unfair, Christoph says. I have little in common politically or theologically with orthodox Christians. But I have been truly awed by those that I've seen in so many remote places combating illiteracy and warlords, famine and disease, humbly struggling to do the the Lord's work as they see it, and it is offensive to see these good people derided. A disproportionate share, he says, of the aid workers I have met in the wildest places in the world over the years, long after anybody with good sense has left have been Christians and evangelicals and nuns or priests. And Christoph says, the story of Dr. Stephen Foster, a grown child of Christian missionaries who gave his life to care for the poor and sick in Angola, sincere and selfless, meeting him, redefined Christoph's idea of what an evangelical or what a Christian is supposed to be. When you see a Christian blessing the world instead of cursing the culture. When you see a Christian blessing the world, it changes your view of Christianity. And whether you are a Christian or not, it changes your view of Jesus. So, that's what a blessing is not. What is a blessing? If we are to have awareness of the world and bless the world, what is it? John Ortberg says, to bless is to give life, to give life where there was struggle. That's to bless. Mark Buchanan is a a pastor who says, blessing is very connected to love. I asked a group of kids what love means, and eight-year-old Rebecca said, when my grandma got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does this for her all the time even when his hands got arthritis too. That is blessing. Billy, age four, said it a little different. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. I love that phrase. To bless somebody is you just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Isn't that a wonderful way to put it? Whose toenails are you painting? Whose name is safe in your mouth? Who are you blessing? A couple thoughts about what Abraham and those of us who follow God have learned. First, you cannot bless what you will not see. You cannot bless what you will not see. The people who bless the world, the ones who are aware of the world, they see what others will not see, and it changes them. You can't bless what you will not see. I, I was, on your behalf, I was in Bangkok last week uh, in Thailand for a World Vision board meeting. I ended up with a weird schedule, so I ended up going out one night for dinner alone, and uh, this is a nice part of Bangkok. Uh, the Conrad Hotel, it's not the red light district, and there's a city park about four blocks away, so I walked over there and then walked uh, to dinner, and on my way to this park four blocks away, uh, there must have been six or seven or eight times where a little girl stopped me and said, want to have a good time? Want to have a great time? And sometimes they looked just like little 10-year-old girls. Sometimes they looked like the most beautiful women I'd ever seen. But they all would come up and say, want a good time? What really hurt was they would say, want a good time, Father? Want a good time, Grandpa? That was a different story. (laughs) What changed me was how the rest of the crowd, not being an American, would just flood by these women, these little girls, and not see them at all. And I thought... That those are my daughters, and those are your daughters. And nobody grows up saying, boy, I'd love to sell my body. And God says, you cannot bless what you will not see. The second thing that I, I want to just say about blessing from the life of Abraham is that blessing must be about reestablishing the kingdom of God on earth. Blessing is about Once again, making God the king of here on earth. It is not about handing out prescriptions or stopping wars or doing good things. All those are aspects of what you do, but what you are called to do is to willfully say, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Abraham Kuyper was a theologian in Europe, uh, in in the Netherlands, but he became the, the prime minister of the Netherlands because he believed that, as a good Presbyterian, we are called into the mess instead of hiding. And he has this great quote that I hope marks my life. He said, there is not one square foot of planet Earth that my King Jesus does not come and say, this is mine. This is mine. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. This is mine. We are to be aware of the world and we are not to stop there. Blessing connects our faith in one God to the love of God for this world. And that's going to look very different for each one of you. I would like to show you what it could look like through your eyes.
1: In the African nation of Congo, we have a mission partner. One of those mission partners is UCBC, which is a Christian college in Beni, which is in a war-torn area of Eastern Congo, which uh, events over the last decades could be well described as a genocide that's been occurring. I had the fortune to travel to Congo to visit our mission partner at the university, and I stood with four students, ages 18 and 19, which, interestingly enough, they were the same age as my two oldest children. And they told me their collective life stories. They had scars on their face and scars on their arms. They told me about dads that disappeared, about uncles that are dead, about brothers that are gone, sisters victimized. victimized, And I, the weight of their stories just carried on me, especially when I considered my children's lives, same age and the different lives of these kids growing up in a war zone and the experience they had. And there was a somber tone that overtook the, the room and a the silence there. And I eventually broke that silence by making a a comment and saying, yet through all that you've lived through, you can continue to smile. And this gentleman on the right, tall as he is, he stood up tall like a lion, and he said to me, I smile because God is so good. (laughs) And as I take his words into context, I say that's my gift from God that I bring back to Africa, which I share with you here today.
2: My wife, Diane, and I have been involved with families moving forward for about 10 years. This brings homeless families to stay in our church for a week at a time, three or four times a year. Over the years, my outlook on these folks has changed greatly. I've learned that more often than not, (laughs) they are hardworking people that are not unlike you and me. But through circumstances outside their control, they find themselves without a home. A photographer friend of mine often comes with us. She takes pictures of each of the families and gives them these pictures to do as they wish. You would have to go a long ways to observe greater joy when they see these families' pictures. They may never have had before. As often happens, we get so much more out of this than we ever put in. It hardly seems fair. God is very good.
3: A little over a year ago, I was first invited to travel to Nicaragua with Opportunity International. And my first response was, right. With two young children and a job that takes me away from home on a regular basis, this is exactly what I need. But there was a small voice inside of me saying, go. And I'm so glad that I listened to that voice. Because in Nicaragua, I saw prayers being answered. And I saw not just individuals being transformed, But entire communities being lifted through economics and with dignity. And I was transformed too, by the realization that it's not about me and that I alone am not enough. That it's when we make room for God to work among us and through us that's when transformation really starts to happen.
4: Growing up at CPC gave me numerous opportunities to get involved in both the world and local missions. And at early, early age, it formed my values. Now as an adult through Deacon Ministries at CPC, my husband and I have had the chance to pass the same values down to our kids. We've recently taken the kids on international mission trips and closer to home have been involved in programs like The Plunge, helping us to better understand the lives of those and the issues that are at the forefront of our news and country today. Because of these programs at CPC, we're having conversations at our dinner table that we never would have had before, striving to better understand the concepts of Islamophobia and white privilege, and what it means to us from an adult's perspective, as well as to a teen. In continuing the journey, my involvement this April in Sankofa, a four-day local missions trip to the Deep South, will continue to challenge me to better understand past and present racial injustice. What a blessing this church has been, and its focus on missions, to both me personally, as well as to my family.
5: In January, my mom and I attended The Plunge, a program that CPC and Urban Ventures hosted. We spent the morning listening to engaging speakers talk about Islamophobia and white privilege and what those really, words really mean in their daily lives. This discussion opened my eyes to the, to the reality of other people's struggles. Something I realized was how small-minded some people can be to other fellow human beings. I'm a freshman at a large, diverse school, and what I learned that day has changed the way that I observe the interactions between kids at my school across racial and cultural boundaries.
3: Six years ago, I went on my first mission trip to Zambia and it completely changed my life. However, nothing could have prepared me for what I experienced or what I saw. I had never before seen extreme poverty and nor had I been around people who were dying of AIDS. It was truly devastating to me and I was an absolute emotional mess. And actually my heart was truly broken by the things that break God's heart. And I came back, I returned home with a a dedication to continue to serve and to make a difference and to learn. And I've gone back, I've been fortunate enough to go back a couple of times, and I'm happy to say that I'm no longer immobilized by what I see. I now see when I, I see individuals with dignity and with love and I see the energy being coalesced in communities around asset-based community development. And I see the local community coming up with sustainable ideas for poverty alleviation. And most importantly, I see God at work
5: and I see a hope for the future. Several weeks ago, about 100 of us gathered here at CPC to watch a documentary on the growing evil of sex trafficking, both abroad and here in the U.S. As uh, I moderated a brief discussion afterwards in the fireside room, I agreed to stay and answer questions. And after nearly an hour, uh, the final two people to come up were a young woman and a young man. And when she came forward, she said, thank you for shining a light on this evil that is here in our Twin Cities. She explained that she had been a former dancer and prostitute here in Minneapolis, but is now a Christian who loves Jesus and has been transformed. She had brought her boyfriend so that uh, he could see the documentary and begin understanding what her life had been like. This past Tuesday, I had the opportunity to take her to a Starbucks And sit with her and hear her story of struggle and of transformation. And as I sat across the table from this beautiful 25-year-old new creation, I was reminded (laughs) that because of my engagement here um, with CPC and missions, I need to lead with grace because I never know and you never know who might be sitting next to us at Starbucks or even in our pews this morning?
0: I I can't tell you what it means to say that the biggest struggle was figuring out who would stand up because there are so many more stories like that. It's a privilege to be part of a place where when this value and awareness of the world is lived out healthily, it changes our lives as much as others. As with all our other values, we are nowhere near where we should be in embracing the world, to whom much has been given, and we have been given much. But by the grace of God, we are on the road together to see the blessing of God. And here, here is where that road ends. At the very end of the story, we started in Genesis, at the very end of the story is the book of Revelation At the consummation of human history, the Apostle John looks up. After this, I looked up, and before me was a crowd, a crowd so great that no one could count it, from every nation and tribe, every people and language, standing before the throne and the Lamb wearing white robes, all of them crying out, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped, saying, Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God, our God, forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, you died to make it so. Send us out that we might be your children and citizens of your kingdom, that your blessing would come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.